Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Thank you so much, Pastor. Let me invite you to take your Bible tonight and turn to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter number 6 in the Word of God. I'd like to begin reading from Daniel chapter 6 and verse number 1. And what a joy it is to open God's Word tonight at Riverview Baptist Church. Thank you for your faithfulness to the house of God. Thank you, Brother Graham. Thank you, Grace Baptist Church, uh, for coming uh, as well. Uh, As I understand it, Green Bay and Appleton are suburbs of Seymour. That's how it was explained to me. So I appreciate you all coming to the big city. I know sometime little town people don't like to get to the big city. So I appreciate you fighting the traffic and doing what you got to do to come to Seymour, Wisconsin. But seriously, we're glad you're here tonight. And I, I'm great, uh, greatly looking forward to Thursday night. And I, I'm excited about the privilege to preach with you folks down in Appleton. And, and uh, can I just say that uh, I promised Brother Bachhaus that, uh, that we'd preach different messages unless the Spirit of God says something else. And, and you know, I know sometimes people think evangelists have uh, uh, six messages and that's all they got. Well, and just in case there's emergencies like this, I have 12, just in case there's a time where you have to have it. So, so I'm one of these guys that really works hard at this. But, but uh, Lord willing, you plan to preach some different messages if that matters to you. And, and uh, we're looking forward to these days here in Seymour and then to the little city down of Appleton where we'll preach Thursday through Sunday. Unless, of course, Jesus comes. And if he decides to come, that'd be awfully fine with me. If you show up and we're not here, well, number one, you're in big trouble, what can I tell you? But, uh, but uh, we're just looking, and if he decides he wants to come, that, that's fine too. Let's, let's go. Let's just go. Uh, I'd just soon be at a plane 30,000 feet in the air, just getting a head start on things. Let's, let's, anytime he wants to blow the trumpet, we're out of here. And uh, that sounds good to me. Sounds better every day, doesn't it? The book of Daniel tonight, chapter number 6, and I'd like to begin reading from Daniel 6 and verse number 1. You say, oh, what a great chapter, the story of Daniel in the den of lions. And it's one of those chapters why you could preach on and preach on and, and preach on it for a long, long time. And, and there's always something fresh. There's always something new. What a story it is. If you're able physically tonight, could I invite you to stand together with me as we go to Daniel chapter 6 and verse number 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom a hundred and twenty princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. Darius is the king of Babylon. Cyrus was the name of the emperor of the entire Persian empire. But Darius was in charge of Babylon, the great city. And in verse 2, over these three presidents of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion of fault for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Father, we ask for your help now as we open the words of our God, and may you speak to every man, every lady, every young person, or we spend the week and we're bombarded with what this world thinks and, and how they, their view of things, and yet tonight we're here because we want to shun what the world says, and we want to join Samuel and say, speak, Lord. So tonight, may you speak as your servants here. May we listen to our God and listen to his word, and may we leave this building changed for someone perhaps in this room, maybe online tonight who has never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great night to be saved. So we are in desperate need of you doing a work a preacher can't do. We submit to you in Jesus' great name. Amen. Thank you so much. Please be seated. The old English preacher said that Daniel was a man of royal race. That's true. He was of royal pedigree. But you know, he said far more importantly, he was not only a man of royal race, he was a man of royal character. And as you come to the Word of God, of course, we're not speaking about Jesus now. That's on a whole different level. But aside from our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, I think you might be able to go out on a limb and say there's only one man in the Bible of whom God gives us a greater 
greater character story than Daniel. And that, of course, would be Joseph. When I study the Bible and I'm going through a certain book, I I like to make lists, and they might differ from book to book. But when I come to a book like Daniel, I love to trace the character traits of a man of God, of a woman of God. And my, when you come to the book of Daniel, I started listing them. I found 43 character traits of Daniel. The only guy I found more of in the Word of God would be Joseph. But you know, when it comes to Daniel, there's nothing but good things that God says about this man. You know, any man your character in the Bible, you'll find some flaws, won't you? Abraham was certainly an amazing patriarch, but but he had some days that he wished never happened. More importantly, he wished they weren't in the eternal word of God. I We can look at mighty men of God like Peter and even Paul. I We can look at some of the great heroes of the Bible like David. And while they all had scintillating moments where their testimonies were profound and they stepped out by faith and they did great works for God, each one of those men had some stories that they're a little embarrassed about. And yet when it comes to Daniel, there is no shame. When it comes to Daniel and Joseph, there are no regrets. It really is an amazing thing. And so I began to list those character traits. You certainly would find some that I would miss. But you know, Daniel was smart and Daniel was courageous. Daniel was humble and Daniel was excellent. Daniel was consistent. You get the idea. I mean, one by one, it just seems like every chapter gives us one right after another the mighty testimony of this great man of God, Daniel. But you know, of all the things that you could say about Daniel and all the positive traits that you could give, and there certainly are many, I do believe the greatest one, we just read it a moment ago in verse number four, where the Bible speaks of Daniel and says, for as much as he was faithful. What a thing to say about a man, as much as he was faithful. And you know, the reason I say tonight it may just be the crowning testimony of Daniel is because God in heaven calls it such a thing. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, moreover it is required in stewards. It's the one big requirement that God has for you and me. And what God said is not it is required that a man be found successful, nor does it say it's required that a man and be found talented, but what God says above everything else, moreover, it is required that a man be found faithful. I got to tell you, I like that tonight because faithful is something you and I can do. The word faithful means to be dependent. The word faith dependable. The word faithful means to be a, a consistent, trustworthy. When somebody is faithful, and look, you know, and I know the Lord knows the end from the beginning, but if you'd put it in a human way of thinking, it, it is the Lord looking down and saying, I have confidence in that man. I have confidence in that lady. I know they're going to do the right thing. I know they're going to wake up on Monday and build the right kind of testimony. Faithful people are trustworthy people. They are people that are solid and consistent in doing what is right for their God. And of all things for the Lord to say, as much as he was faithful. I love that because faithful is something I can do. Faithful is something you can do. You know, we can't all be as good looking or as talented as Brother Bachhaus is tonight. Just can't do that. I mean, the Lord makes one guy and he breaks the mold and that's the end. What are you going to do? We just can't all do that. But the one thing that we can all do is be faithful. Look, you may not be able to stand up and preach a message like your pastor, but you don't have to. You say, but preacher, you know, you don't have to. Believe me, you don't have to stand up and sing a beautiful solo tonight. I will promise you, if the preacher asked me to sing a solo, by the time we got to the chorus, you thought the rapture took place. This place would empty out so fast. Uh, And God didn't say we all have to be singers. I can promise you, I am very thankful the Lord didn't say we all have to be church nursery workers. Boy, am I glad about that. But you know, in a local church, well, the Word of God tells us it's compactly fit together. I I always read that verse and think of a puzzle. Isn't that what a church is like? You know, it's like pieces of a puzzle and the Lord knows how to put it together. And why in every church, God said somebody is the hand and somebody is the foot. I, somebody is the eye, somebody is the ear. In every church, somebody's the big mouth. I've learned that the hard way. But but you understand, the Lord puts the church together. They're compactly fit together. And God doesn't need you to preach. And God doesn't necessarily need you to sing a solo. And God doesn't need you to go out and fix the church van and the brakes. Brother, if I did that job, you wouldn't want to get in that vehicle. You understand, the Lord doesn't have that. But there is somebody in the church that can play a piano. There is somebody that God calls to be the pastor. There is somebody that can run 
run the vacuum cleaner and sweep the floor. There is somebody that can fix the brakes on the van. There is somebody, how thankful I am, that can go to the nursery. There is somebody that can do a job for Jesus because they love him. And it's the one thing you can do. And it's the one thing that I can do. For as much as he was found faithful. No, Daniel didn't have to be spectacular. And Daniel didn't have to do what nobody else could do. Uh, He just had to do the consistent things. And he had to be faithful at it. And you know, one day when we meet our Savior, the Bible tells us, he, the Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I love the words of Proverbs 31, uh, sorry, Proverbs 20 and verse 6. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. But you know, if I was pastor of a church, I think it'd be right there under that verse. I'd put the rest of this one, a faithful man who can find. Oh, I got to tell you, God's looking for faithful men, faithful ladies. It'll come to a place like Riverview Baptist Church, Grace Baptist Church, and say, Pastor, just give me a job to do for Jesus. Just get me busy in the service of the King, and I will do my best for the one who died for me. It's the one thing I can do. It's the one thing you can do. You don't have to go to a mission uh, mission field and die on the mission field. You don't have to give your life and become the preacher of a church. But one day, every child of God, think of it, every child of God in this place online tonight, one day, every single one of us can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It's the one thing we can do for Christ. God loves faithfulness. What a story is the story of Daniel. The Bible tells us that of all things, he's a faithful man. So tonight, let me take your, let, invite you to take your Bible and look with me to this great story in Daniel 6. And, and I want to give you very simply tonight, four areas where Daniel was faithful. Because if the Bible could say... For as much, more than anything else, the biggest testimony of his life, the man is faithful. Well, there must be some things that he is faithful to do. So let's go right to Daniel chapter 6. And and let me show you four areas where Daniel was faithful. And you and I can do the exact same thing. Notice number one, Daniel was faithful to the Bible. He was faithful to his Bible. Look if you would to verse number 4. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the the kingdom. Now, I recognize that for us in America to try to understand what is taking place here, it's, it's virtually impossible because we can't relate to this. And you're going to have to take my word on this. Many years ago, oh, give or take a few 2,500, back in this place called Babylon, uh, well, there was a man named Darius who was the king, and he organized the kingdom with politicians underneath him. There were 120, and of those 120, there were three that were above them, and above of those three, one of them named Daniel, well, he was responsible for all of them. Now, I, I, I understand I'm trying to do the impossible here because we can't get this in America. We have no way of understanding and comprehending this because we have never seen this. But back then, and you're not going to believe it, the politicians didn't get along. No, they, they, they fought with each other. They just couldn't get along. I, I know we, how do we understand that? Because that certainly doesn't happen here. But no, back then, the politicians were fighting. And, and back then, believe it or not, the politicians had this problem with jealousy. And they're looking at Daniel and so how could that guy be number one? I'm better than him. After all, I mean, I don't know if Darius knows it or not, but that guy's from Jerusalem, meaning he's Jewish. Oh, I'll tell you, that would never fly. Not in a place like Babylon with racism built in. How dare he exalt Daniel? I mean, not only that, Daniel's old. Old, man, the guy's on a, on a downhill slope towards 90. I got to tell you, here's an old, old guy. Well, that's not looking too old anymore. But, but you understand, here's a man. Everybody's like, how dare Darius choose him? And these politicians started fighting. And these politicians started getting jealous. And why this whole thing is starting to build like a storm. And, and we're going to have to come and we're going to have to get him. So in verse number four, they tried to find occasion against Daniel. Wouldn't you love to hear that meeting? Oh, when we get to heaven, we're going to hear this. You know, I, I hope it works like this. And, and I can imagine these politicians getting together, how are we going to trap Daniel? And, you know, they're going to come up with a way, you know, and I can hear one of the guys saying, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get Daniel a secretary. You know, that always works. We'll get him a young secretary. And, and, you know, I can see one of the old timers shaking his head from side to side and everybody thinks, oh yeah, that's a great idea. And the old guy shaking his head saying, not going to work, not going to work. I'd work with anybody else, but it's not going to work with Daniel. That old man is faithful to his God. You're not going to get him in a scandal. 
people. Maybe somebody else says, all right, then what we'll do is we'll get them around money. You know, politicians and money, that's always trouble. Every time it's tried, hey, we'll get a pile of cash. You know, we'll just get a pot of gold and we'll see how that disappears. And, and the old timer, he's shaking his head saying, sorry to put the kibbutz on that one, but it isn't going to work. I, I mean, that day, that guy is so honest, he isn't going to steal a pencil. Not going to happen. Somebody else that might, it isn't going to happen. And you know, it got a little frustrating, I suppose. And they're trying to find a way to trip up Daniel. And all the normal stuff's not going to work. Scandal's not going to work. Money's not going to work. The normal things that politicians mess everything up over, well, Daniel's not going to get it done. And you can imagine they're a little bit frustrating because the Bible tells us in the middle of verse 4, they could find none occasion nor fault. And could I say that that's a powerful statement on a couple of grounds. First, that word find becomes very important in these verses. It tells us that they were looking and they were searching. These enemies of Daniel were willing to pick up the carpet to look for dirt. They were willing to go check out the closets to see if there were some skeletons. I mean, they were searching and they were looking. The operative word is find. And yet notice the reason they could find nothing in Daniel. And what a testimony it is. Two things. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. Boy, is that powerful. Error, that would be outside sins that everybody could see. And nobody is looking at Daniel, and he's pushing 90 now, saying, you know, we know that guy did this. We know that guy went there. We watched that. Nobody can point their finger at Daniel and say he's done some outwardly immoral thing. And do you know the reason? Because there's no error on the outside, and there was no fault, a word meaning corruption on the inside. You see, somebody can do the right thing on the outside and not be right on the inside. But it is impossible for somebody to be right on the inside and not be right on the outside. You see, Daniel wasn't playing the game. Daniel wasn't running for office, putting on the show. Daniel was pure on the outside because Daniel was pure on the inside. And that's the reason they couldn't trip him. And that's the reason they couldn't get him. Because they knew he had an impeccable testimony because he was a man of great integrity. The man was clean on the inside, so he's clean on the outside. And in verse number 5, it's remarkable. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. I, I got to tell you, in a very weird way, you got to give these people credit. I, I mean, very few unsaved people would, would come to this conclusion. And, and it only tells us that Daniel's testimony was so amazing, but they finally figured it out. You know, we're not going to get him with the normal stuff. So if we're going to get Daniel, then we're going to have to put Daniel into a, an impossible situation. We're going to get have to get Daniel to get to the place where he's got to choose Am I going to be loyal to my God or loyal to my king? Am I going to be loyal to the Bible or am I going to be loyal to the law of the land? In a weird way, these people are very impressive because I got to tell you, not very many people would have figured this out, but they certainly got it right, didn't they? Daniel's going to have to make a choice. He's going to have to choose. Do I follow the law? Do I follow the Bible? So the word of God tells us, and you know the story, in verse number four, they sought to find occasion. It says they could find no occasion or fault. There was no error or fault found in him. So they say, we're going to set Daniel against the Bible. They passed the law that it says nobody, no man, no woman, nobody is going to pray to anybody except for Darius the king. And why Darius couldn't sign it in the law fast enough. They came up with a law that says you're going to have to choose to obey the law of the land or the word of God. You know, for Daniel, this choice had already been made. We look at Daniel as a guy pushing 90 years old who's got to say, do I follow the Bible? Do I follow the law of the land? But this is nothing new. The first time we read about Daniel in the Bible, he's a teenager. There's a pounding on the door. Why, the Babylonian army has invaded Jerusalem for the first time. There would be three occasions. On the first event, they're knocking on the door, or tearing the door down, saying to Daniel and a few other young men who were of royal blood, Pretty much they said, grab your toothbrush, you're out of here and you're not coming back. And they didn't. 
You know, these young men were being carried away as captives. I I suppose they must have had a lot of dark thoughts. No doubt they were enchained as they were being led across the wilderness on their way to Babylon. And, And you know, they must have had a lot of fears. Why, when we get to Babylon, it'll be slave labor for the rest of our lives. And the first thing that happens when they arrive in Babylon is basically... Boys, you're never going to get married and you're never going to have children. I mean, it's all downhill from here. You know, they must have gone to those bunks thinking our lives are over. This is horrible. But the next day they go and they meet a representative of the greatest man in the world, Nebuchadnezzar himself. And they said, boys, here's what's going to happen. Number one, we don't like your names. You know, a name like Daniel honors Jehovah, the God of Israel. You're not in Jerusalem anymore. We're going to change your name, son. You're no longer Daniel. Your new name is Belteshazzar. Hey, excuse me. We get Daniel right. Could we get the other three boys right? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Don't ever call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those three names honor pagan idols of Babylon. Those boys had moms and dads that gave them names. Each one of their names honors Jehovah, the God of Jerusalem and Israel. Now the pagan king says, we don't like those names. We're going to give you names that honor our idols. It's not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their real names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Nebuchadnezzar said, boys, we're going to change your names. Number two, we're going to give you a free scholarship to the university. They go to the University of Babylon where they are taught sciences, they're taught math, they're taught a a lot of subjects that are normal in our way of thinking, but the number one course was a course in the religion of Babylon. They were taught the paganism and the idolatry of the land. So number one, you get a new name. Number two, you go to our school. And then number three, and this must have stunned them, but boys, from here on out, you're going to eat at the king's table. You're going to eat the king's food, and you're going to drink the king's wine. And understand, we're talking about the largest empire in the world, so you might well say, we are talking about eating food prepared by the greatest chefs in the whole world. Now, i got to tell you, that sounds like a good deal, you know. We're talking baby back ribs, and we're talking fried shrimp. I mean, this is going to be a good deal. So, Daniel... You've got to draw the line. And it's interesting. It's not the boys. Now, it's one man. I don't know how many were carried away captive, but the Bible is very clear. One guy takes a stand. We know the boys are going to take the stand in Daniel chapter 3, not in chapter 1. At first, it was one man, Daniel. Daniel, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? you got three things. They have changed your name. They're going to force you to go to these classes and hear about pagan religion. And then you get to eat from the king's table. Daniel's going to pick a hill to die on. Now, i got to tell you, when I I read that, I'm thinking, you know, what would I do? And and if I'm reading these things, you know, to me, the most offensive one probably is this name change. My parents had just gotten saved when I was born, and they gave me a name right out of the Bible. And and i got to tell you, it's a name in honors of a man in the Bible that was very special. And if somebody were to come and say, you know, we're going to change your name, and instead of Paul, you're now going to be named after Buddha or something, i got to tell you, that'd be a highly offensive thing to me. Going to a university and listening to some theology professor teach me the pagan idols and religion of the day, that would be highly offensive. And you know, of the three things, I'm not exactly sure which one is worse, but I know eating at the king's table and sitting there and and why from the greatest chef in the world, I'm not drawing the line there. I mean, if you got to do something, here am I, send me, okay, I'll eat at the king's table then. Wasn't it interesting where Daniel drew the line? And I've thought about this for so long. Why does he do this? He doesn't say, okay, I'm sorry, but you're not changing my name. And if I've got to die, then I'm going to die, but I'm not going to let you change my name. He doesn't do that. And he doesn't say, I am not going to sit in that class and listen to that professor teach me to worship a pagan idol. He doesn't do that either. He's not going to die on that hill. You know, the one place where Daniel's willing to lose his life, if that's what it takes, he said, I'm not going to drink the king's wine and I'm not going to eat the king's food. Now, the seminary professor comes along and says, well, (laughs) that food had been sacrificed unto idols. No, whoa, whoa, whoa. The Bible doesn't say that. Not one time. Uh, Sacrificed food, sacrificed unto idols, that's not a big thing in the Bible for another 500 years. No, the Bible never says that. And anyway, if the food had been offered unto idols, certainly the pulse would have been offered unto idols. So that just doesn't work. That's somebody creating an answer that's just not biblical. No, no, there has to be a reason. Daniel says, I'm not going to die over the name change. I'm not going to die over the scholarship. But if you're going to tell me to eat the king's 
table and we're talking about really good food now. And if you're going to force me to drink the king's booze, that's the hill I'm going to die on. And do you know, there's only one possible explanation. Because when you go back to Daniel's law, that would be the Bible. There is no verse that says, thou shalt not get a name change. And there is no verse that says, thou shalt not go to the school. But you know, there are chapters full of verses that tell somebody from Jerusalem, this is how you eat, this is what you eat, this is what you drink. And Nebuchadnezzar's food and Nebuchadnezzar's booze is not on the list. In other words, when he is a teenager, he says, I am going to be faithful to the word of God. And it may mean, and why would they let a kid from, excuse me, son, who do you think you are? And except for a miracle that God brought Daniel into favor with the guards, if that weren't explained in the Bible, they would have long ago killed Daniel. But Daniel says, if it takes my life, I have purposed in my heart that I am going to be faithful to the word of God. And God has told me not to eat that food. And God has told me not to drink that booze. So Daniel says, I can't do it. I cannot violate the Bible. He set the mark when he was a teenager. He laid it out for the rest of his life. No matter what it takes, no matter what it costs, I am not going to violate the Bible with my life. So now Daniel's a teenager. And what do you know? They've come, uh, I'm sorry, he's an old man. And they've come to Daniel and said, okay, Daniel, you got to decide. Either you are going to follow the law of the land and live, or you're going to follow the Bible and you're going to die. You know, we say, well, that's an awfully tough decision. But Daniel had already made that choice. He made it back when he was a young man. He may have been to camp and heard Jeremiah preach, or he may have heard Zephaniah preach, or he may have heard Habakkuk preach. Uh, he may have heard them all preach for that matter. And somewhere Daniel got on his knees and says, I have purposed in my heart that I'm going to follow the Bible. I am deciding right now to be faithful to the Word of God. When he's a kid, he's faithful to the Bible. Now when he's an old man, he's still faithful to the Word of God. And if I've got to choose between what the Bible says and what the law of the land says, Daniel says, I don't even have to choose. I have already chosen. I am going to be faithful to the Word of God. That's what I can do. That's what God wants you to do. Faithful to the Word of God. And, and, and I don't understand, I, I really don't, preacher, why this has become a problem for some. Uh, uh, it's a very simple thing when it comes to the Bible. Do we honor and respect and obey human authority called government? Of course we do. Romans chapter 13 is incredibly powerful. And there are, are, are you and I have responsibility as citizens to obey our government. When the government puts a sign out on the interstate that says 70, Brother Bockhaus doesn't like that sign. But you know, the sign says 70. And the government, he's got the... He said, how do you know? Because no preachers do. But you know, we've got a responsibility to turn the cruise control back. Because as Christians, government, whether we like it or not, has got the right to do it. Government's got the right to put a stop sign up here. Now, I may think, yeah, that's a dumb place to put a stop sign. And if I were the mayor of a big town like Seymour, Wisconsin, I wouldn't put a stop sign there. But you know, I'm not the mayor of Seymour. And if the government puts up a stop sign, you and I have a responsibility to stop. But, but when the government of China says, no, you cannot go to church and you cannot pray, then the government of China has just gone too far. You see, when authorities conflict, this is really, I don't know why this has become a problem. It really shouldn't be. When authorities conflict, do you know what you do? You always obey the greater authority. My son's in the U.S. Army. He flies Black Hawk helicopters. And, and uh, he, when he, I don't know if the right word's graduate. I think the right word is survived the boot camp. I remember sitting at lunch with him. I said, now, Tim, if a general gives you an order and a sergeant gives you an order, what do you do? What if they're different orders? Which one do you follow? And he said, oh, that's easy. You always follow the charge of the higher authority. Of course we do. God has placed authorities in my life. God has placed authorities in your life. And one of them, as was true for Daniel, was human government. However, when human government conflicts with the God of heaven, we obey God rather than men. We obey authority right up to the place where a higher authority tells us to do something else. So for Daniel, he's got a problem, but it really isn't. Because human authority says you cannot pray to anyone except Darius. The word of God tells us to pray without ceasing to the living God of heaven. For Daniel, it is a simple matter of obeying the higher authority. Human government says one thing. The God of heaven says something. 
something else. We ought to obey God rather than man. So Daniel says, I know what my Bible says. I'm going to be faithful to the Word of God. And you know, it's what the Lord's looking for right here in this building tonight. Hey, we may not be able to go to a mission field and do a mighty work in a distant land. We may not be able to stand up and, and honor the Lord with some incredibly beautiful music. But you know, the one thing every one of us in this room can do We can all wake up on Monday morning and open up the Bible and start our day in the Word of God. The one thing every one of us in this room can do, this week we can hide God's Word in our heart. You know that verse, right? Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. And it's the verse I don't have to obey once I hit 30. I think sometimes we think that. You say, well, my mind's not as sharp as he... Well, you know, if you start memorizing, your mind gets sharper. <laughs> That's how that works. It's kind of like a muscle, you know. If you don't work the muscles, nothing ever happens. You go down to the gym and you lift a few weights and it's amazing what happens. Well, the mind works the same way. You start hiding God's Word in your heart, memorizing the Word of God. And it's amazing how your memory starts working again. I mean, for some, it's kind of been a long time since it worked. But that can happen. No, we can't obey the Bible. We can be faithful to the Bible. We can read it. We can study it. We can hide it in our heart. We can meditate and think on it. No, we can be faithful to the Word of God. And Daniel's worst enemies knew it. He's faithful to the Bible. We're going to pit Daniel against the law of the land. We know that Daniel will follow the Word of God. Faithful to the Bible. That's the story of Daniel You and I can do the same. Notice number two, Daniel's faithful to his Bible, but he's also faithful to pray. All right, the politicians have gathered themselves together. And and I know here's another statement. You're just going to take my word for it. What can I tell you? But back then, and I know we've never, ever seen this. Back then, politicians would actually lie. No, they really would. You want to catch them in a whopper. How about this in verse number 7? They come to the king and say, All the presidents of the kingdom and the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal decree. Really? You know, I'm guessing that if some archaeologist digs up this this legal document and all the presidents have signed it, you know, I'm going to guess there's one name that's going to be conspicuous by its absence. I'm going to guess that Daniel didn't sign this law. You think? And yet they come to Darius and say, no, 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 we're all in agreement. All the presidents have agreed that if anybody is going to pray, well, whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of the O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. 30 days. 30 days. You know, I, I, I think I can hear it. I, I wonder how many people came to Daniel and said, okay, okay, Daniel, you can't pray. You can't pray. The government says you can't pray. Let me say that again. The government says, you can't pray, but it's only for 30 days. God, it's only for 30 days. It's, you, you don't have to follow. Only for 30 days. Hmm. I, I wonder if somebody else didn't say this. You know, Daniel, if you pray, you're going to be a bad testimony. I, I wonder if they said that. Oh, no, no, if you pray, do you understand what that's going to mean? All these people are going to see you disobeying the government, and all these people in the town that aren't saved, they're going to think you're a bad testimony. <laughs> really? Well, you know, we're supposed to obey the Bible, and if the world doesn't like it, <laughs> too bad for the world. <laughs> Where do we ever come up with this? It's okay to disobey the Bible because my favorite lawyer told me that if I do, or if I, well, if I follow the, oh, I'll be a bad testimony. Now, all of a sudden, people are interested in being bad testimonies. Really? Really? I know we're supposed to be godly and righteous, but the way to do that is by obeying the Word of God. And I can hear it. I can. I know what they said. You know how I know what they said? Because that's what people have been saying now for three months. Oh, no, it's only 30 days. Well, you know what? It wasn't only 30 days. Because in the state of California, they're still telling churches you can't congregate. And they're still telling people in Illinois you can't meet. And they're still saying if you do meet, we're going to... Yeah, I thought it was only 30 days. Funny how that kind of extends itself. And, and you know, Daniel, you're going to be a bad testimony. And people aren't going to like it. But you know, the last time that, that we go to the Bible and find a case where we're supposed to go into the world and ask them how we're supposed to do God's work... Well, when you find that in the Bible, it'll be the first time in world history. 
No, we don't go to the world and knock on a door and take a survey and say, how should we build Riverview Baptist Church? This is not how this is done. That's how false religion does it, but that's not how God's people do this. So, no, Daniel, it's only 30 days. Only 30 days. And Daniel says, I don't care if it's 30 minutes. It doesn't matter. So, verse number 8. Now, O king, establish the decree, sign the writing, that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians. So it's in the law. You can't pray to anybody except Darius. So what are you going to do? Well, you know what he did. Verse 10. When, and please understand this verse, okay? It's very important, especially in our day. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, his windows being opened in his chamber towards Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did a time. Please don't misunderstand this verse. Let me tell you what Daniel did not do. Daniel did not open up the window and grab a copy of the law and stand there in the window and rip the law in half and say, who do they think they are? That is not what Daniel did. I know there's some people got that kind of attitude and that kind of spirit, not Daniel. You say, well, well, what does it all mean? Well, please understand, Daniel's the number two man in the kingdom. In a place like Babylon, the more important you are, the higher up on the wall you live. Now, I live in Phoenix, Arizona, where there's some mountains that kind of surround the city. And in Phoenix, a little different than the rolling hills or whatever you have in Wisconsin, in Phoenix, in a place like that, the wealthier you are, the higher up the mountain you live. That's kind of how it works. Well, in Babylon, the wealthier or more important you are, the higher up the wall you live. So the only person who lives any higher up than Daniel is the... is is the emperor Nebuchadnezzar, or in this case, Darius. So Daniel's got this chamber. He opens up the windows. You know what that means? That when he gets down on his knees, nobody in the street is going to see him. He's in the highest spot. The windows are open towards Jerusalem. Nobody's going to see him. Nobody's going to find him. You say, well, how do they know that he prayed? And that's because of that little word, fine, fine, fine. They're looking through the keyhole. They're looking through the cracks. Somebody's spying on Daniel. That's how they find him. So Daniel's not a rebel. Daniel's not ripping the law in half saying, let him come after me. That's not what he does. Very respectfully, Daniel opens up the chambers towards Jerusalem. Daniel gets on his knees and Daniel begins to pray. But you notice how it works? He prayed. And by the way, at the end of verse 10, he gave thanks. (laughs) Really? You're about to go to the den of lions, son. What are you giving thanks for? Isn't that an amazing thing? He didn't pray, Lord, keep me from the den of lions. Somehow he found something to be thankful for. But the end of that verse says he did what he did aforetime. In other words, he always prayed, so he's not going to stop now. I, I, I get the idea there are some Christians who never pray, never pray, never pray. But if the law came down the pike that says you can't pray to anybody save the president, for the first time in their life, some of these people start to pray. And the reason they're going to pray is because they got an attitude that says that government's not going to tell me a thing or two. And they would just pray just to show everybody. I can tell you, maybe we'd have revival. You understand, there are some people that just going to make a point. Daniel's not like that. Daniel says, yesterday I prayed before there was a law. Today I'm going to pray after there's a law. And and by the way, when it comes to honoring the Bible, he does it again. Because remember that great text? If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Do you know why God told that to say? You know, when God gave those words to Solomon, if you look at the big story, God says, okay, Solomon, there is going to come a day. There is going to come a time when my people are going to be carried away for their idols. And it happened in the days of Daniel. Jerusalem was destroyed. The preacher quoted from Lamentations. And now the people, the few Daniels had been carried away as captives. And God said, Solomon, when that day comes and my people have been carried away captives, he said, I want them to open their windows and pray towards Jerusalem morning, noon, and night. And if my people, which are called by my name, God says, I'll bring them back to the land. God was answering a prayer. And so God says, this is what you do. This is how you pray. In other words, Daniel said, well, I did this yesterday. I'm going to do this tomorrow. And as long as I have life in me, I, I don't, it doesn't matter now what the king says. It doesn't matter what's popular. It doesn't matter what the world thinks a bad testimony is. Daniel says, I'm just going to keep on praying. I'm just going to stay faithful to the Bible. I'm going to stay faithful to pray. How are we doing with our prayer life tonight? 
Daniel said, no, I'm just going to pray in the good times, pray in the bad times, pray in the easy times, pray in the hard times. The man kept doing what he did yesterday. He was faithful to his Bible and he was faithful to pray. How about number three? He was faithful to souls. Look down to verse number 14. The king, that's Darius, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Uh, I mean, King Darius said, what have I done? And he's working to set Daniel free. But at the end, in verse 15, these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Please get the picture right. The den of lions was a huge cavern, a huge pit. There was one stone, a, a thick slab, a massive stone slab. You didn't want to be walking at night and fall into the den of lions. In the den of lions, plural, there are starving lions. What we discover at the end of the chapter is that when bodies are thrown into that den of lions, eh, I don't mean to be too gruesome, but they usually never hit the ground. We are talking about an impossible scenario. And now the Bible tells us they bring Daniel in, and the Word of God tells us they're going to throw him in the den of lions. But the king does so with these words. In verse number 16, the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Do you understand how impressive that is? What that just says? Number one, Darius is not saved. He's a pagan who bows down to idols. But do you know there are some things that this pagan man knows about Daniel's God? Look at him. He said, number one, I know, Daniel, that you have one God, thy God whom thou servest. In world history up until this moment in time, every nation in the world, every religion in the world had multiple gods. I mean, they had got Babylon had a God for everything. Every family had their own personal God. There were idols and gods. Every religion had multiple gods. But do you know that Darius could look at Daniel and say, I know you, Daniel, you only have one God. I mean, we look at that and say, what's the big deal? The big deal is that there is no way for Darius to know that unless Daniel told him. Not only does he know that Daniel has one God, even more impressive, he said, you have a personal God, thy God. It didn't work like that. In pagan religions, there were idols everywhere, but nobody would ever say, this is my God. This is my Savior. This is my Deliverer. The personal relationship you and I know with Jesus and we know with our God, it is something they had no clue of. It was as foreign as an idea and concept that you and I could imagine. But King Darius, a pagan man, says, Number one, Daniel, you have one God. Number two, Daniel, you have a personal God. And then in verse number 20, he says, you have a living God. I mean, those idols, they're made of brass and stone and wood. Those idols, somebody took them down to the shop and the the guy made it the other day. There's no power. There's no life in those gods. Yet Darius, an unsaved pagan man, could say, Daniel, you're different. You're different than these other jokers. You're different than anybody I've ever met. I have never met anyone like you, Daniel, because you have a God who is alive. You have a God who is personal. And your God, well, Daniel, he's a single God. Those are incredible statements. You say, well, how did he know? He knew it because Daniel told him. He said, I know that for two reasons. First, Daniel had done that before. You remember that story, of course, when Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were thrown into the, de- into the burning, fiery furnace. And remember, Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to take a look. You know, maybe I can find a bone. You know, I'll find a tooth. I'll kind of put that up and let everybody know you don't mess with me. And when he looks into that raging, burning, fiery furnace, he says, wait a minute, didn't we throw three men? True, O king. Well, he said, they're four men, and you better have the right Bible now. Because the Bible says, when he looked in, he said, the fourth is like the Son of God. Boy, that really matters. Because modern seminary professors have come along, liberal seminary professors, and they say, oh, come on. How could a king like Nebuchadnezzar know what the Son of God looks like? Of course he would never say that. And there's an answer. I'll give it to you in a minute. But the liberal seminary, a seminary professor comes along and says, obviously that is a great mistake in the Bible. And they have taken upon themselves to corrupt the Bible and they have changed in modern Bibles from the Son of God. And they claim, he said, 
there is a son of the gods. Boy, the Jehovah Witnesses would like that. You say, well, why would they do that? Why would, obviously, how would somebody like Nebuchadnezzar know that was the son of God? Oh, I have a question for the liberal cemetery professors. How would he know what a son of the gods looks like? Because you know what? There is such a thing as the Son of God, but there is no such animal as a Son of the Gods. Nowhere, nowhere. How would he know that is a Son of the Gods? What would he say that for? Such a concept doesn't exist. You say, well then, how did he know that was Jesus in the fire? Because Daniel told him. Daniel had an incredible relationship with Jesus right here in Daniel 6. Read it real close. You'll find out in the den of lions, the angel of the Lord, that's Jesus, was there. In Daniel chapter 7, I Daniel chapter 8 and 9, he has personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He talks with the Son of God, knows the Son of God intimately. And the very last thing virtually that God tells us about Daniel, he was an amazing testimony, but God said this, he spent his life turning others to righteousness. We see that with Nebuchadnezzar. I'm pretty certain the last thing that happens in the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar humbles himself and he gets saved. And it's because it's one of the greatest stories of soul winning in the Bible. Daniel kept after him. Daniel kept after him, pleading with him to get saved. One day Daniel says, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, humble yourself because if you don't, the Lord will do it. Humble yourself. And oh, for all that pride and all that arrogance, the Lord did humble Nebuchadnezzar. And people debated, but I think he got saved at the end of his life. And the only reason he got saved, aside, of course, from the grace of God, was the persistent testimony of Daniel. He stayed after it. You know, we all know George Mueller as a mighty man of prayer. We hear the stories how the man prayed and there's a knock on the door and dinner's ready for his orphanage. But you know, the most famous story of the prayer life of George Mueller is that he prayed for an unsaved friend to get saved and he prayed for decades. And George Mueller died and one of his best friends was still lost. The man got saved after the death of George Mueller. The man kept praying, the man kept praying, the man kept praying. He was faithful to pray, faithful to souls, faithful to the Word of God. It's the story of Daniel, and it's what you and I can do. We can be consistent, and we can be solid, and we can stay at it. Daniel said, I can keep on telling people, and if it's Nebuchadnezzar, the emperor of the world, if it is Darius, the king of Babylon, I can be a faithful witness for the Savior who saved me. Faithful to pray, faithful to souls, Faithful to the Bible. Let me give you one more thing. Daniel was faithful to serve his God. Look, if you would, to verse 16. The end of that verse, Darius said to Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually. And there's something about people that serve God continually. And you can do this. That's how people can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. My mother went to heaven three years ago now, having taught the same Sunday school class in the same church, for 53 years. Well, I got to tell you, you talk about well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, Sunday after Sunday, she felt like it. She didn't. Sunday after Sunday, she went to that class, taught that thing. And you can do this. I can do this. Somebody can come up and say, Brother Bachhaus, give me something to do for Jesus. Give me a work to do for the Lord. And it may not be glorious. Nobody may be patting ribbons on her coat. Nobody might give us a standing ovation. But you and I can get a job for Jesus in our church and we can just do it and keep on doing it and never stop doing it until one day we meet our Savior and our says, well done, good and faithful servant. Faithful to the Bible. Faithful to pray. Faithful to souls. Faithful to serve. Daniel did it for 90 years. You and I can do it too. In 1983, October the 23rd, our Marine Corps barracks was bombed in Lebanon. It was a horrible event. 241 Americans were killed. The Marine Corps Commandant, Paul Kelly at the time, went to Germany where the survivors had been airlifted, where hopefully they could be, be assisted. He said, as I went to that hospital, I met these people who had been so horribly injured. He met a corporal named Jeffrey Nashton. He said, I went into the room and this corporal has suffered a broken leg, collapsed lungs, a crushed arm and a fractured skull. And for all of the concrete dust that had gone into his eyes, he couldn't see a thing. General Kelly said, I went to the man and told him I was the Marine Commandant. He wouldn't believe me. He said before he believed me, he had to reach up and touch the four stars. And then he was sure it was me. Then this man, so frail and so badly injured, 
asked for a pen and a paper. And he wrote those two great Marine words, Semper Fi, always faithful. The Marine Corps Commandant said, when I realized I left that hospital, I realized I had met a great human being. He said, I had to turn around and go back into the room and I took those stars off and I gave them to Jeffrey Nashton because I realized that they belonged to him more than they belonged to me. After all, Christ has done for us and our lives are so up and down, are they not? And we fail him and we break his heart. And yet after all that he has done for us, imagine, imagine that one day Jesus would actually say to a helpless, hopeless human like me, well done, good and faithful servant. It is because he puts a premium on people who wake up every day and go to their Bible. It's because he puts a premium on people that go to their church and stay faithful to serve the Lord. It's because to him it matters. The people who give and the people who serve and the people who labor. The people who pray and the people who join their pastor in telling people about Christ. One day the Bible tells us Daniel's worst enemies had to say if we're going to get him, we're going to have to get him over faithfulness. The God of heaven puts that testimony on top of Daniel for as much as he was faithful. And tonight the Lord is looking for a man, for a lady, for a young person in this room who will join Daniel and say, I'll be faithful to the Bible, I'll be faithful to pray, I'll be faithful to souls, and I'll be faithful to serve him until one day I see my Savior face to face. It's the one thing he requires from us tonight. It's the one thing we can do, faithful. Tonight, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, perhaps you're listening online and and you're not sure you're going to heaven. Well, you talk about a loving kindness, a faithful love of our Savior. He died on the cross for you and for me. Buried in the ground, He rose again. And the Bible says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. In other words, a sinner like me needs the one and the only Savior, Jesus Christ, to wash my sins away. Is he your savior tonight? If you say, I don't know him, we'd be so honored if we could open up the Bible and help you from God's word to know that Jesus has taken your sins away. Tonight, if you're listening online and you're not saved, Pastor Bachhaus would love to be able to open God's word and help you with that text, with that email, help you know from God's word that Jesus Christ is your savior. But tonight is the night to be saved. Tonight is the night to be born again. You know him as your savior. What a great night for you and me to make an altar out of this place and say the one thing I can do is the one thing he wants me to do. I can be faithful to him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.